Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, but you can call me... Well, Mike Fenton-Stevens is my name. And this is the podcast where I ask my guests to reveal the five things from their life, four things that they love, and one thing that they loathe, that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule, given the chance. And then I do give them the chance. My guest choosing their five things in this episode is the actor and presenter, Caroline Quentin, who we recently saw being brilliant on Strictly Come Dancing, or, as it's known now, Strictly Don't Come Anywhere Near Me Dancing. But Caroline has been an almost permanent presence on our screens for the past 40 years. She came to fame in the sitcom Men Behaving Badly, and then as Alan Davis's sidekick in Jonathan Creek, as well as Life Begins, one of the very early shows written by John Morton of 2012 and W1A fame. She was DCI Janine Lewis in five series of ITV's Blue Murder, as well as making appearances in Mr Bean, The Life of Riley, This is David Lander, Goodbye Mr Stedman, Von Trapped, Miss Marple, Just William, Dancing on the Edge, Doc Martin, and the new Netflix smash hit Bridgerton. She also presents the world's most extraordinary homes. Caroline has won two National Television Awards, two British Comedy Awards and a Golden Nymph Award. That's from the Monte Carlo Television Festival. Anyway, I spoke to Caroline over the internet and as always she made me laugh a lot and typically made me cry. So here is our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. How are you? Yes, I'm fine, actually, darling. I'm really well. I'm, I'm great. I mean, I'm great despite the fact that I'm just shit at technology. Apart from that, I'm 100% marvellous given the world is in chaos. I mean, I have been a bit low. I can't pretend I haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I've been fine, actually, because I've worked a lot during this. But um, just last week, I suddenly got the the fears and I'm like you. I mean, I can get on with it. 99% of the time, I'm pretty good at mm-hmm. getting on with it. 
And I just, I said to Sam, I woke up and I said, I feel quite scared and quite vulnerable yeah. and all those things. And I feel I'm much better today. And I've been in the greenhouse actually, which is why, and I always feel better when I'm growing things. So, yeah. Y- yeah. All right. Well, we'll get on with it because it's a beautiful afternoon. It is. And I'm annoyed that I'm going to take you up to the point where the sun's just going to start. Don't worry, darling. Yeah. I've been out. I've, I've been up and out yeah. all day. So I'm good. All right then, Caroline, how lovely. How lovely to see you again, I it's have to so say, after all this time. It's so lovely to see you. It's so lovely to see you. Because, of course, we used to work together a yeah. lot. I mean, you know, I'm going, I'm turning back the clock a bit, but but we used to see each other a lot because we were always thrown together. <laughs> you were yes, either playing my husband or I was playing a woman you were seeing or we were, <laughs> we were neighbours or, I mean, there was a period of time, actually, when we practically saw each other on every job, didn't we? Yeah, and there was also that really, I can't remember the name of it. Was it Up Your News or something like yes, that? What was that? Yes, that's right. Up oh Your News God. for BSB, which was a live <gasps> show we did. Yeah. So we'd see each other sort of every other day. I mean, literally, yeah, and terrifying. Yeah. Was How terrifying was that to do a live, live television <laughs> programme? It's, it's so crazy to even think about it. But yeah. we used to do a live topical news programme from a f- small studio. And there was a sort of rep company, wasn't it, of actors and writers. Mm. And they would write, scribble away furiously on the, the day's news. And then we would learn the parts in about half an hour or uh, something approximating le- learning the parts. And then and then you'd go on and I'd play Margaret Thatcher and you'd play Dennis or you'd play, I'd play, I don't know, I can't remember. It was, you, you kind of, everything was thrown at us all the time, wasn't it? I do remember one sketch where we all dried on live on television. Uh, <laughs> But it was in a in a doctor's surgery. We were sitting around a bed, and we all had we all looked at each other. People, and I remember somebody saying, "Is it me?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That's hell. It's like hell. It's like torture. Isn't the nerve it? of it, though. That's the thing, isn't it? The nerve of of youth. Yeah, God, you'd never do it now, would you? Just you'd, It'd be impossible. But, you know, when you're in your 20s, you just think, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. It doesn't matter. And actually, in fairness, so few people were watching it. It probably was. It probably <laughs> was okay to do it. It's true. But actually, numbers-wise, probably about as many people as watch Sky now. But, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> Early days. Still happy days, very jolly days. Very jolly days. So that's what I mean. It's a joy to see you. And also so excited to see you doing Strictly recently and just, oh, it was brilliant. It was, um, it was, what it was, I mean, I've done some very odd things over the last, I was figure, figuring out the other day, I think I've been working for 45 years. I started work at 16 or something. Mm. 44 years I've been, I've been doing this professionally. And that was still one of the weirdest, <laughs> one of the weirdest experiences <laughs> I've ever had. I've done some really <laughs> weird stuff. And uh, I've done all nature of, of of things, but that was so odd. I don't know whether it was odd because of COVID, you know, because we were literally, I mean, Johannes, my partner and myself, but were um, in a bubble and we didn't really see anybody else. We kind of, you'd, you'd have a, a day when you kind of, the other couples were around, but generally speaking, it was you. And then a camera crew would come in and stand, you know, yards and yards away at the other end of the room. It was very isolating, very odd. And also, um, just strange to go from, you know, Devon, where I live, in my wellies, growing things and walking <laughs> the dogs and all that, to suddenly, <laughs> suddenly 
being in a rehearsal room every day with someone I'd never met before, working no. from you know ten o'clock in the morning till six, seven o'clock at night, all day, every day, learning dances that I I actually I still don't quite know what some of them are. I don't I couldn't tell you the difference between a pas doble and a cha cha cha. I've done both of them on television, but, but they, <laughs> they seem pretty similar to me. A lot of them. I think there's quite there's quite a lot of stuff spoken about that dancing that's yeah. a bit hokum. It's weird though, isn't it? Because actually, if you are a follower of Strictly, you know that one of the great things about it is that all those people who are all doing it together, that camaraderie that happens is really strong, and they're all they all feel incredibly close to each other. But you had to go through it without really meeting them. Yeah. It was different. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I'm I'm still in touch with everybody because we communicated by, by a text, you know, and, and WhatsApp mm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so we built a different kind of community. But I do think the isolation was probably one of the harder things about it, actually, because you never had that opportunity to meet up and go for a pint and say, oh, how's your day been? Oh, isn't it awful? Isn't it weird? Isn't it depressing? Isn't it scary? And it was kind of a loss in a way, I think. I think that was one of the things doing it this particular year. We sort of missed out on, you know, making very close friendships. Although, as I say, we're all still in touch with each other on groups and things like that so it was an extraordinary thing though i mean it it will be remembered that series for a long time because the fact that they actually managed to do it is incredible i think yeah you know that that they didn't just have you know half of everybody saying sorry i've just tested positive yeah we've all got to drop out that only one person did yeah Uh, we'll only want we only have one dancer go down with it and I think there were probably other things going I mean not that I know this but I imagine there were other things with the wider crew and stuff I'm sure people were not well and things but that was kept you know very much in its own bubble and and dealt with and and we were all just (laughs) sent back with a different pair of shoes on the next day to get on with it and learn another dance you know but it was it was an extraordinary thing and and um yeah, I'm very glad I did it, but I was also quite happy when it stopped. It was nice to get home and nice to feel back in touch with my family and, and the countryside mm. and all those things because, you know, I'm like you, I'm an outdoor person and I and I struggled very much with living in, in I just had a, a, a bed sit and lived on my own and I found that difficult and not, been, mm. not being, I know Bill did as well, just not being in touch with nature was was hard for that period of time. Yeah, I'm sure. Talking to people like Jan Ravens, who's done it before, she said that the great thing is sort of going to hospitality afterwards, after the programme, and everybody's sort of reliving the programme. Yeah. You don't get to do that. Didn't get to do that. I can just relive it in my nightmares when I wake up in a cold sweat, (laughs) 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 thinking I've forgotten how to do a spin or a turn or a leap or something. Actually, one of the things... Yeah, yeah, I mean, but there there are lots of great memories actually that I will carry with me forever and and you know some friendships too Johannes and, and I will I think probably be friends forever I just I he was always oh, marvelous I just mm. I, I really value him so hugely not just as a teacher but you know as, as a friend he's a wonderful man yeah, I think you may have been lucky because it seems that some of uh, they're quite severe, some of the people, but you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, real sort of taskmasters. I don't think I'd be saying anything that hadn't been said before if I said that some some of those people are so ambitious to do well in it that they don't care what they put their guest through. <laughs> they, <laughs> they really don't. There's, there's all manner of humiliations go on. And things. I think, you know, it's... Um, 
it's a strange old thing, you know, and I felt vaguely institutionalised when I came out. And I'm quite good at sort of maintaining my mental health, but I felt a bit spooky having been trapped in it for a bit because, you know, I don't, know if, I don't think it's just COVID. I think there's a kind of ethos and I think there's a kind of, this is the Strictly way and this is what you're allowed to say and this is what you're allowed to do. And mm-hmm. these are the questions we ask you and don't give any other, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's kind of, it's fairly rigidly put together, I think, as a format. Uh, mm. They don't really like free form thinking much. That's what I'd say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because also people get, they get really wound up in it and you get really wound up in the effort that you've put in and the amount of work you've done. Yeah. And I, I do, I've had friends do it and I've, and I've actually texted them saying, don't forget you've been brought on this because you're funny. Yeah. You know, not because you're a great dancer. Yeah, exactly. And, and don't, for God's sake, take yourself too seriously because I think that, yeah. that way madness lies. I really... You know, and I can see the amount of effort can twist your mind, but it's. I think it's really important to keep perspective and say, I'm just here to entertain people. Mm. Are you still going to be able to do the tour one day? I don't know. I've no idea. I mean, they've asked, but I don't know what's happening. They Maybe they'll ask me back in a year or two's time. I, I honestly don't know, but um, I'm fortuitous in as much as I've got other stuff to be doing, so... Mm. Yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward to that. Quite. Yeah. Well, and so have we. We both have other things to be doing. We should be talking about the things that you'd like to put into a time capsule. So let's do it. Let's find out yeah. what they are. One of the things actually is pertinent, given that we've just been talking about Strictly, because I want to put a moment in. And mm. it's the moment that Johannes first lifted me in the air. And, and lifts to dancers are, you know, terrifying. I'd never done a lift before. And they're the things you watch people doing them and you think that, you know, God, it looks quite easy, but it must be quite frightening. And, you know, if you're perhaps a little bit heavier than your normal six stone dancer, are they going to be able to cope? And what will it be like? And will you be able to keep your back upright? And, you know, you think about all that stuff. And then he lifted me in the air during my first, I did a dance called Morning Train with him. And he he said, right, we're going to do this lift. And I went, okay, like that. And because he is so brilliant, I'm honestly not joking, Michael. I felt no difference between the moment I was on the ground and the moment I was in the air. It was as if I literally just walked and he lifted me up and over his head and round me, but just put your leg back there. And and it was it was like flying, you know. I remember as a yeah. kid, sort of dreaming about being able to fly, and you know, watching Peter Pan and Wendy when Wendy's in her nighty and she's flying through the air, and and that's what it felt like. It felt like it felt like a dream because because there was no difference in how I physically felt from when I was walking, dancing, stepping to when I was actually in the air, lifted, and and it was if I could just distill that that feeling that moment that and also you know because because one has fears about that something about being too high up and falling or looking stupid or hurting yourself none of that none of that came into play it was a kind of perfect moment where life is as good as it can get suddenly you know <laughs> for that moment it was so beautiful and and that was because he He's a remarkable dancer. I mean, you know, mm. Amy, who's another of the dancers on the show, told me that she had always been scared of lifts until she met him. And she's a dancer. She's a pro dancer. And she said he, Johannes, taught her how to be confident in lifts. So so it's him. He gives whatever that is that that he can he knows technically obviously how to do it, but also there's something about who he is as a human being that gives you the confidence to trust him and to trust yourself. And that, I want to put that in my, I don't know how we're going to, 
capture that moment and put it in time. That's up to me. Don't worry about that. I will do it. I will capture that moment and I will put it in there for you. I mean, the extraordinary thing is that it's not just strength, is it? It's nothing to do with how big his muscles are. It's timing. Dancing, of course, to a great degree is about timing. Yeah. And partnering is not just a random word. To partner someone as a dancer actually means, and for him being my teacher, learning how I move and how he can help me move, how he can join me physically in the Mm. most perfect way. You know, not everyone would be able to lift me like that because he's so brilliant at partnering and saying, okay, she's five foot two, I'm six foot three. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to get in. She's much heavier up top than a lot of people are. I'm going to have to balance that. But it's not just the kind of technical skill of knowing that. It's also a sort of spiritual joining of a person. You know, it's generous. It's such a generous thing to do for somebody that, to absolutely give of yourself. He's a partner. He can partner people. It's a magical, brilliant, wonderful, generous thing to do that. I mean, I often think that is the joy of watching Strictly Come Dancing, is that you see that generosity from the dancers all the time. Yeah. It's why people love Anton Dubeck so much, because (laughs) he's generally put with someone who can't even walk. Yeah, And he makes them look elegant and he just keeps it simple around them. He doesn't do anything showy. No. And he he makes it about them. Yeah, he's hugely generous and he's joyful. He's full of joy, although he's the most brilliant dancer, obviously. I mean, he really is quite extraordinary, Anton. He's hilarious. He's brilliant. But again, he's very generous. Whoever he's working with, he looks for how he can make them appear wonderful, even if it's only for a week. (laughs) And and unfortunately, because he generally gets partnered with people who are probably less likely to do well, he's never around for long enough, in my opinion. I just think he's absolutely wonderful. And I think he judged some of the programmes as well because um, Motsi was uh, stuck in Germany and he he made a brilliant, generous judge to truly understanding what it's like to be a part of the show because, because he does, which others don't. And he was very, very good at just sensitively picking up on, on the, you know, the, the ups and downs of it. I mean, it's all a very strange thing, isn't it? Because I've met Craig Gravel Horwood a number of times mm. and he's one of the jolliest yeah. and most pleasant men you could ever wish to meet. I mean, enormous fun. I mean, it was interesting because you don't, because of COVID, I presume, we didn't get to meet the, the judges very much, but he, Craig and I have lots of mutual friends, very brilliant and gifted people in the world of theatre, you know, designers and choreographers and people like that, mm. you know, brilliant people. And when I first met him, I said, oh, so-and-so sends their love. And he he sort of went, oh, right, like that. And I said, oh, God, oh, clearly you're not allowed to. No, but I think he has to keep a separate persona or something mm-hmm. because he's clearly a lovely bloke. I mean, he's a really, really nice bloke. He's a funny, nice man. But I think if you're going to play the panto villain... You know, to give it any sort of credibility, you probably have to maintain a bit of a distance. And I think they all do in a way, because it is quite pantomimic, isn't it? You know, the kind of, you know, there's the evil one, the kind yeah. one, and then the sort of, I don't know, the fairy godmother one. I don't know, but it's, it, it is, I think they have to kind of maintain their distance and their character. They have to stay in character, probably. Yes, quite. And it does work. I'll tell you the God's honest truth now. I have still never watched a full episode of Strictly Come Dancing. I never had before (laughs) and I still haven't now. (laughs) The only bits I've ever seen are when I was backstage 
watching the bits where other people were doing it. So I just don't really watch television. I do watch Gardener's World and I do watch University Challenge. But that is the only telly I watch. But I've still never watched a full episode of, um, of Strictly. So when I'm old and grey, Michael, <laughs> please tell yes. me that hasn't happened yet. I will sit down <laughs> and watch it. <laughs> I watch all my, all my old shows. I'll sit and watch them when I'm old and grey. And you can genuinely sit there and say, telly's not what it used to be. Yes, I can, exactly. <laughs> oh, Caroline, that moment sounds absolutely joyous. Good. I, I do know just occasionally I've had the, the joy of dancing in something that I felt easy with and I knew what I was doing. And it, it is a wonderful feeling. Yeah, and but my body's rare. doing it. I'm I not know. a good dancer. Yeah, no, you're not. Really. No. no, not really, sadly. No. I don't know why. No. I'm probably lack of practice, but, yeah. you know, I, I could almost certainly be brilliant if I wanted to. Yeah, you know. I think it's true. As you know. Yes, I know that. You don't need to tell <laughs> me that. <laughs> so the moment, that moment of flying. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm going to put that into the time capsule, and if you ever want to sneak in there, you can go for a little Wendy fly. Oh, thank you. I'd love that. Thank you. That really does sound great. Thank you for that. <laughs> I love that, yeah. All right, that's lovely. That's your first item yeah. in the time capsule. What's what's second? Um, I think my second item is going to be, and I don't know if it's too big, I've got a very big greenhouse, Vicar, and um, <laughs> I really love it. It's, it's sort of the centre of my universe, actually, when I'm at home. I grow all my own vegetables and I grow all my own fruit and I grow I grow a lot of my own flowers as well. I mean, I t- it is a big passion. I, I've been gardening now for years and years. Gosh, I mean, I think I really first sort of started growing things in just like little window boxes and things when I was in my early 20s and it's become an increasingly important part of my life. And, and a few years ago, I um, had a greenhouse built and it was the beginning of some of the happiest days of my life, actually. I, I love it. Mm. No, I understand it. I have a greenhouse. I don't think it's as large as yours, but it's enough for me and it's really great fun. I've been in there this morning, actually. I've got slightly garlicky fingers this morning because I've been <laughs> planting. I've decided this year because I, I'm wor- I'm going to be working during my busiest time, normally April, you know, February, March, April, May is my busiest time normally with the veg and stuff. So I'm mm. trying to get ahead a bit. So I've been planting um, cloves of garlic into pots. I'm going to bring them on in pots in the greenhouse this year. So that's yeah. been my first job, really, this year. Yeah, no, I'm definitely guy. I can smell my... You can't smell them from there. But um, I think <laughs> the reason I'd like to... Can you? Oh, maybe you got, it's quite strong, Alec. Um, <laughs> it's coming through. Is it coming through? It's, coming through. it's quite heady, isn't it? Um, so that, yeah, time in my garden, because I'm also a very keen bird watcher, I have got a sort of feeding station just outside the greenhouse as well. So I can combine the two things I love best, which are bird watching and gardening. So I think I would put my greenhouse and the bird feeders sort of into a time capsule. Because I do find particularly, you know, gardening helps my mental health more than anything else, probably. I mean, I say that. I think it's very interesting, isn't it? You know, as you... uh, uh, I've started to admit to myself more as I get older that my mental health isn't as good as it should be. And I think I've always known that and I've never spoken about it and always been slightly ashamed of it, I think. And always felt that I had to kind of, you know, put on a, a cheery face and all that stuff. But actually, interestingly, with what's happening in the world at the moment, we're, I think we're allowed to admit more that we're not all on top form all the time. Mm. And actually, that's been quite a release for me. I have found that 
very helpful that people have been saying, oh, I'm feeling shaky, I don't know, I feel a bit low, I'm down. Because I think, you know, a lot of people have that a lot of their lives. But, you know, I grew up in the 60s where my mother was um, what they call bipolar now, but we used to call manic depressive back then. And mental health had a terrible stigma, you know, really, really bad. And my mother was in and out of sort of big psychiatric hospitals and she had electric shock therapy and all that. And so she was quite unwell, but it was quite embarrassing as a child. You know, there's something quite, there's almost a shame attached to having somebody mentally ill in the family in the 60s. I don't know what it's like now. I imagine there's still a lot of stigma attached to it. So I'm, I've always known that my moods fluctuate greatly, but I always kind of didn't want to face it, maybe. Didn't want to talk mm-hmm. about it or wanted to keep it separate from my working life or private. I don't know. that. I don't know. But I, well, also, as a professional actress, yeah. there is an image that you want to project. Professional, nothing bothers me. Yeah. So it's, it's possible almost most of the time to keep that image going. Yes, know? And then every now and again on your own or with the people you really love, they see the other side of it. It's true, actually, of course, particularly when you work in comedy a lot, I think probably true too, that you feel you should be fun. You know, you should be fun and you should have a smile on your face and you should get in and you should know what you're doing. And and uh, yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I mean, I bet there's a lot in that. And maybe getting older, I've started to think, actually, I can't, you know, you can't be all things to all men all the time. And the fact that people talk about depression and mental health and all those things much more openly now has been helpful to me. And I, and I, But I think very early on with the gardening, I really know that being in nature is such a great leveller. It puts everything in perspective. If you plant something the size of a pinhead, which is what a lot of seeds are, and eight months later you get a poppy which has got the head the size of a dinner plate from it, (laughs) and then that poppy is dead within eight weeks, but it produces its seed and more seeds will come and that poppy will go on here. You cannot but look at life in a different way. You have to see it for what it is. You have to see that the cyclical nature of it means that if you're low today, you'll probably be okay tomorrow, that tomorrow is another day, that spring will come. I mean, as it happens, it is a beautiful day here in Devon today, but the weather has been biblical. It's been so cold and so wet and miserable, (laughs) really miserable. And I love being outside. And even I have sort of five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, pulled the duvet up and thought, I cannot go outside today. I can't go. But of course, when I do go outside, I've noticed that already there are tiny, tiny buds on the beach. And underneath that tiny brown bud, I know there's a lime green leaf. I know Mm. there is. And in a few weeks' time, it will come out and it will zing the world with that green like no other green, you know, which cuts through all pain. That spring green is, I honestly believe it's like a tonic. You know, I've never taken LSD, but I can see why people sat around going, the colours, the colours, because I feel like that all the time. I feel the colours, the colours are, you know... uh, I get it. And I think it heals you. I think that makes you feel better. I think it, and even on the darkest, darkest days, because I'm a gardener, I know spring will come. I know the days will get longer. I know it will get warmer. And I know that we all will get through this shitty, shitty time we're going through and the warmth will come back and we will move forward. 
I don't know where that came from, but why is the greenhouse important to me? That's why, because it's my yes. my contact with the continuity of life and death and growing. And I get to see the birds. And if anyone will ever tell you, don't take it seriously, it's a blue tip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I'm absolutely with you on all those points. I mean, I'm very much a spring person. Spring is the moment where I go, yes, this is it. The moment all those things start bursting out. Oh, it's such a relief. And as you say, you know, all those strange little things you've put in pots. And that thing of waiting, learning to be patient with something. Yes, putting the effort in, but not getting immediate gratification, which is what, you know, people in our game are so used to immediate gratification. You say something funny, everybody claps. It's like, Mm. (laughs) everybody immediately, you know. But actually doing something and then not getting an immediate response or an immediate... And also having failure quite often. You know, planting something in a pot and then just watching, watching it either not arrive at all or shrivel, yeah. shrivel up and die. <laughs> <When> you, <laughs> oh, I always think the prime example of that are cucumber plants, which you put in these little seeds in the ground and out comes the leaf and then it grows and then it grows into quite a sort of, oh, this is a great plant. And then you put it, right, okay, I'm going to put it in the ground from the pot. You put it in the ground and it rots at the base. Yeah, immediately. Or slugs just go, yeah, I'm having that. Just thanks. go, oh, great, thanks, thanks for all very much. that work. Yeah. I'm having that. It's delicious. Thank you for all your work, <laughs> Michael. That was so yummy. <laughs> <laughs> But still, the following year, you think, I'm still going to plant some cucumbers. And that's, I love that. And then every now and again, yeah. I ended up this summer with about 30 cucumber plants, <laughs> yeah. and not one of them failed. Yeah, I know. So you got to know, what did you do with yours, darling? Did you give them away? I fed the street. Yeah, it's really hard because I, I do bake a pickle sometimes, a cucumber pickle, which is very, very nice. But there's mm. only so many jars of cucumber pickle you can get to. Cucumber gin's quite nice. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, there we are, then that's yeah, the answer. Yeah, that's quite good. Yeah. So that's that's another one I'd like to put in, the greenhouse. Well, and, it definitely. And, and, and not only that, you know, I wouldn't worry about size. This no. This time capsule is as large as you need it to be. Yeah, it's, so it's we, a big we'll put it in there. It's a proper But also a really one. good supply of compost. You'll need compost. You'll need. I mean, if I was allowed, yeah. I'd take yeah. the whole garden, but I'd just take the greenhouse. Fine, that's in there. All right, so what's next? OK, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be back with Caroline very soon. 
no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back. Right, let's find out what else Caroline Quinton would like to preserve in a time capsule. Okay, the next thing I'm going to put into the time capsule is, again, it's a moment in time. It's a moment in time, well, it's sort of two. I don't know if it's cheating. Anyway, I'm going to do it. But um, So I've got, <laughs> I have two children and there was a moment with each of them and with both of my children, they, they were both quite difficult births. My daughter came 10 weeks early. So I was filming um, a series called Jonathan Creek and I'd been filming all day. And I'm laughing now. I wasn't laughing 21 years ago. I got out of a car in the middle of Soho where I was living at the time. I'd been filming in Derby and my waters broke. Uh, I didn't know, because I hadn't got to the end of the book because obviously I wasn't expecting her for 10 weeks. So I hadn't actually finished (laughs) reading the what happens next. Yeah, literally, I I thought I'd wet myself. I (laughs) I didn't know what had happened. So I phoned Sam, my husband, who was around the corner working. And I said, I'm not sure. I think, I don't know whether I've wet myself or something's going on, you know. But it was 10 weeks is a lot early. I mean, it's very early for a baby. Anyway, long story short, uh, my daughter arrived the following day by emergency caesarean. And uh, she was tiny, tiny baby. She was about two and a half pounds. She was tiny. And it was quite a scary time because, you know, you, the survival rate of very young babies like that is not massively high even now. And this is 20 odd years ago. But I didn't really know that because I was hopeless. I mean, I'd been working and, you know, I'd sort of reading a bit about pregnancy, but rather loving it all and being a bit excited. And I had a dog and I thought it'd be similar to that. And, and it wasn't. And, uh, and, <laughs> but the moment I'd like to put in really is the moment when... They handed me my daughter, and I wasn't allowed to keep her for very long. She had to go into an incubator very, very quickly. It was the first time I was allowed to hold her for more than a couple of seconds, which was probably a a couple of weeks in, actually. So she'd been in the incubator, but eventually they handed me my baby. And clearly by this time she was going to survive, and she was a little bit bigger. And she looked at me, my Obviously, if you knew her now, she looked at me and I swear to God, it was like, oh, my God, it's you. Oh, hi. Uh, and she went, oh, it's you. And I went, oh, hi, it's you. And it it was like, oh, oh, you're here. It was as if all my life, I was like, all my life I'd been waiting for her. It was the most wonderful thing. It was like I just waited for her to come. And she looked at me and was like, oh, thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. Thank God you're here. You're here. Thank God. It's like I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for her. And she looked at me as if saying, is this all right? It's okay. God, calm down, woman. Yes, I'm here. Uh. I'm here. And it it was an extraordinary thing. And something I never thought could be replicated. But then I had a son. Having lost a couple of babies, I I had a son a couple of years later. And again, not easily. I had to have an emergency zone because he was very, very big. So I had a tiny, tiny baby girl. (laughs) And then I had an over 11 pound baby boy. Who? uh, So neither of these were going to be natural births for various reasons. (laughs) So I laboured with William. I laboured with him, laboured with him. 
And uh, I couldn't get him out anyway. I couldn't get him out. He's got a head like a cannonball. He takes after his father. He's massive. He's six <laughs> foot four now. He's only 17. But I, ha- I gave birth to him. And again, the first time I was kind of compassmentous enough to look at him, it happened again. I can't say the weirdest thing you can't. I was trying to explain to so her friend who's having a baby. And I said, you can't. He look, I looked at him and it was like, oh, there you are. There you are. It's you. Oh, it's you. Oh, great, 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 great. You're here. And I can't explain that feeling to anybody, but it's, I don't understand what it is. It's like, I mean, I know birth is a miracle. I know it is. But when you look into the eyes of your baby and it's like, it's like that's the only thing that could be right. It's like, there you are. There you are. There you are. I've waited all my life for you. And I have, and I am very, 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 very lucky. I have these two wonderful children. They're just wonderful, my children. They're absolutely wonderful people. And they were wonderful the minute they bloody arrived. That's what I can't, you know, I, I, they were both who they are now at 17 and 21 the minute I saw their faces and people say oh well you must be very proud you've had a lot to do with that I'm telling you now I've had nothing to do with who they are they (laughs) came like that I met them I remember meeting both of them I remember the moment I met both of them I can remember it it's so clear to me looking into their faces and meeting them and going oh hi and I haven't I had nothing to do with who they are they came like that they're just mm. incredible. So I want to put that moment, that exchange, it's an exchange. It's like they look into your soul, you look into their soul, and it's cosmic. It's a cosmic moment. It's bigger than the universe and smaller than a grain of sand. I can't explain it, but I loved it, and I loved it, and I can, and I can, I can still feel it when I think about mm. it now. So I want mm. to put that in. I really do. Oh, yes. I share that experience, but not everybody does. No. And we are lucky yes, to have I... looked at our baby and gone, hello. Hello. Oh, oh hello, hello, you. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. You. Oh, right. And not only that, to look at them and sort of go, I, oh, I know who you are. Yeah. I know who you're going to be. Yeah. And then they they just are that yeah. person. They They're just so write that from... person. Incredible, isn't it? My wife, though with possibly both our children, but I think certainly my son, who's the producer of this podcast and may now find this out for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) For about the first three weeks, she referred to him as it. Yeah, yeah. It's crying. Yeah. Actually, it's very interesting you said, because I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, actually, either. I think it's also very possible to have the feeling I had and then to feel a separation. I think it's really complex. I certainly felt at times with both of my babies a sense of distance just after they were born. So even though we'd looked into each other's souls, because I think probably because I'm such a screwed up individual, I think I probably withdrew. Do you know, I think there was something in that. I think I kind of couldn't go there. It was too much. Too, I don't know. It's so. I think it is different for every person. I think it is. Mm. And I'm unsurprised to hear your wife go, feed, let's feed it or you feed it. 
I, yeah. I really get it. I really understand it. And I think it's very easy to assume that everyone has kind of either, you know, gloriously happy, perfect times when they have babies or the opposite. And I don't, and certainly from my perspective, it was all of those things. And it doesn't get much easier, does it, parenting? Let's be honest. It's brilliant, but it's complex, always complex, mm. because you can't take your eye off the ball. It's a bit like marriage, isn't it? <laughs> you take your eye off the ball <laughs> But for also not for them, for your children. I always think that actually, in the end, it's the children who have the hard time because they, they know you're their parent and they've seen you in all the most awful moods and you yeah. know say the things to them that you really shouldn't have said to children you know <laughs> yeah. and they've seen you do all that and then they still love you yeah and you go why do you still love me yeah why well this is interesting because I, I think as they get older as well I mean that I I said to my son the other day I said do you think I've been a, a good parent I said you know I've, I know I've had my ups and downs and it was I was being particularly bonkers and unhelpful and inappropriate and all the things I always am but and I said I suddenly turned to him I said have I been a terrible parent really and he said no he said I'm just recalling the moment when you called me and my sister words I can't use here but one of them begins with an F and one of them begins with a C and I said you're a pair of F's and C's it's not Fanny Craddock is it <laughs> because they tried to start they tried to put the radio on in my car by using a hair grip and they'd done the battery had gone down they were only I think they were seven and nine years old or something and I used this language in the car park of Morrison's what sort of woman am I what sort of a monster am I <laughs> and he said so yeah you've had your moments <laughs> but but you know he loves me I love him we still and the fact is they can laugh at me god can they ever laugh mm. at me and I think that's helpful I don't think I'd be classed as a Victorian parent would you I don't you know I think they're not frightened of me Michael why is that no <laughs> No, and they know how foolish we can be. Yeah. So, you know, they've seen us do it many times. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they're willing to forgive our foibles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice. I just wish they had more foibles of their own. I'd, I find them so, they're such decent bloody people, my children. And I look at them and I think, how are you like that? It's so annoying. It's so annoying. <laughs> it's like, who are you? <laughs> Amazing. Who brought you who up? Who brought you up? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caroline, it's just what a beautiful thing. It's strange that you don't think about these things very often, but the moment you do, it's why the repair shop makes me cry every week. <laughs> it's the same thing. Do you it's, know? Oh my I God, I hadn't thought about that, that yet. I, but I got given the book of it for Christmas, but I haven't seen the program yet. But apparently, oh. it's very beautiful. It's really beautiful. Yeah, my husband mm. absolutely loves it. He said, You must watch it, Quentin, because it's really beautiful. There's a beautiful program. Yeah. It's such a simple idea. Yeah. People basically having things that they once cherished brought back to them. As just coincidentally, I'm able to do on this program. Yeah, good. I'm so glad. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that lovely, lovely moment with both your children where you both look at each other and you know them. Yeah. They know you. Beautiful. Yeah. That goes into the time capsule. That's three items we put in. Thank you. We've got one more that you cherish and one that actually you'd sort of go, oh, God, I'd like to get rid of that. Um, it's a thing. It's an actual little object that I cherish. Mm -hmm. And it's completely inconsequential. If anybody else had it, it would mean nothing to them at all. It's not worth anything. It's a little tartan address book that belonged to my mother who died oh, 10 years ago now. And 
you know, when my mother was young, people had address books and they weren't great big things. They would, everything was tiny. Like letters were much smaller, envelopes were much smaller. Her address book, it's tiny. It's about the size of maybe just twice the size of a packet of little tissues or something like that, tiny. It's tartan. And in it, written in her lovely handwriting in ink pen, are names and addresses of people, almost all of whom are dead now. I mean, I think probably, apart from me and maybe my sisters maybe are in there. Everyone else will be gone, pretty much, I think, because, you know, they were all her friends from when she was a youngster and she died in her 80s. But I love that little book. I love that little book because for me, it's, again, it's about the care she took to say, oh, well, I, you know, Strike, who was her best friend in Canada. She grew up in Canada. Strike's address in Montreal, and then it's crossed out. And when Strike moved to Vancouver, Strike's address in, in Vancouver is there. And then when she married, her surname changes. And it's just that. It's those small things. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, the telephone numbers change from old-fashioned sort of Rygate 45446 to suddenly having an O number or a, a different, you know, they didn't have exchanges. And it's all, it's like a condensed history of that period of time. That's what it mm. is. And it also is in her beautiful handwriting. And they all meant something to her. And they don't mean anything to anyone else, but that doesn't matter. I, I love it because it meant so much to her. And because nowadays, do people even have address books anymore? No, your computer. Yeah, we have email. Do you expect your devices to tell you where everybody is and what their telephone number is? Yeah. You just put in somebody's name and it comes up with all the details. And every now and again it doesn't. And you have no <laughs> idea how to find it. <laughs> but, do you know what's lovely about those sort of things? Particularly that sort of, that book it makes me think of something that I have of my father's uh, address book. It's slightly larger. It's actually one of those ones that uh, where you, you can pull a handle down the side along the numbers uh, and then it opens. Yes. Remember yes, those? I do. Of course I do. <laughs> yeah. Pop open. Um, what I enjoy about it is I open it up every now and again and a name will jump. It was a man, the other day I was looking and it, it said Binky Gibbons. <laughs> Binky. Binky Gibbons. Binky was a name there. Binky Beaumont. Do you remember Binky Beaumont? Binky. Binky and my Beaumont. father was um, in the Air Force and he had friends called Binky. Mm-hmm. It was called Binky. I don't know where it comes from. It's gone. Binky. But Binky Gibbons. And actually, I've thought about it and I thought, oh, I remember Binky. Binky Gibbons. I remember being introduced to Binky Gibbons. Oh, you Gibbons met him? Because I did meet him, yeah. My father knew him, I think, during the war. Yeah. And then we bumped into him somewhere and he said, oh, this is Binky Gibbons. And I think that's why I remember him because he's bloody, who's called Binky Gibbons? Oh, it's a great name. Isn't it gorgeous? It's a great name. But also there, every now and again, I will come across, you know, Ted and Jean and, and those sort of combinations of names yeah, that exactly. remind you particularly of, of a couple. And then you immediately picture them in almost... In sepia. But always laughing. I always, when I'm reminded of those people's faces and I look back, they're young and they're laughing. I think it's almost like I've given them a new life. Yeah, you just, you just conjured them up at a very good point in their existence. Yeah. I wonder also, there's something about that generation, you know, we do remember them laughing a lot because I think they had been through so much and I think they really knew how to live because they'd seen so much death. My mother was a nurse during the war and um, my father was, um, he was in the RAF, but he, the war was pretty much over. But they'd seen a lot of death and dying. And um, 
I think even though they were quite traumatised by it, they knew what a sunny day was, you know. When they went to a sunny, they knew how to enjoy a sunny day. They knew a de- they knew what a deck chair was for, didn't they? They really knew how to sit down, have an ice cream, have a bloody laugh, have a laugh on the promenade. They just did know, you know, and I think that's why we remember them perhaps like that, because I think they'd seen so much stuff, yes. you know. I mean, when I think of my childhood holidays with those people, they would sit around in large groups in deck chairs in a big circle. And I do remember people throwing their heads back in tears, but just fantastic. I just remember sitting there as a boy, just looking around this group, thinking, this this is just the most gorgeous thing. Let me be an adult. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that you're right. The simple pleasures of sitting around with a group of people, hopefully this awful period will have retaught us the joy of that. I honestly do believe it. I don't think any of us will ever take for granted again being able to go out and meet people for a drink in a pub, going for a walk, going to the theatre, just hugging your friends when, you know, hugging your friends. You know, it's unbearable. And there is a front line as well. There are people at the front, as it were, like a war. Yeah, definitely. And when you hear them speaking on the radio and things, you can't imagine um, how traumatised they're going to be from it. Even with all the protective gear, I don't think I would have the courage to walk on to a COVID ward. They're so brave. It's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah. I think if anyone was trying to slide our health service under any carpet anywhere, I think this has made sure that that will never, ever happen now. Yeah. Anyway. Right, okay, so we're going to take that little tartan The little tartan book. address book. I tiny, think, tiny, yeah, little tiny little Tiny little address book. It's like a talisman and it's a reminder of my mum and a reminder of, of her Canadian roots because she came over here when she was 18, but she was always a Canadian. You know, it's that really. It's, that, it's a memory of her. And it's also a reminder that, you know, we all move about and then we move on. And I think it's worth remembering if you want to start every day with a sense of gratitude it's worth remembering a bit like the gardening how brief it is exactly all right that's it so at that marvelous point i'm going to ask you to put something in that you'd like to get rid of from your life okay i'm going to put in now a memory of um and actually no i might just put them all in i might put them all in i don't know where they are now (laughs) this is a group of people i'm putting in this is a group of people that made my life absolute hell When I first met Sam, my husband, because I was involved, which I didn't know until very recently, I was a victim of the hacking scandal. I was hacked for something like 15 years, it transpires. No. Um, Yeah, really badly. I think I'm probably one of the worst affected people because they started when I was, I think it was 1996, the earliest one. And I went right up until, you know, then when people like Glenn Mulcair and people like that were all going to prison and stuff. Anyway, it's only just come to my notice. But I remember one of my worst, worst men. You had no idea what was happening because we I didn't even well, you know what I'm like with technology. I can't even. But mobile phones when they first came out were absolutely <laughs> baffling, and still are, I have to say. But um, you know, the idea that anyone could hack a phone, you couldn't have imagined it. No. You know, you knew people used to tap old-fashioned big telephones in spy stories, but the idea that someone could hack a mobile phone message was just would, just never would have occurred to you. So you'd leave a message saying. I'll meet you at so-and-so. And then you'd wonder why there'd be a photographer at the restaurant. And you'd think, is the person I'm meeting phoning and telling the press? And it made you doubt everything and everybody. And But it got particularly bad for me when I was expecting a second baby. And the fact that I was pregnant was revealed to the press, not by me, but by 
person's unknown. So, which was very difficult because, it, you know, it's private and I was looking forward to telling my family and everything. Anyway, I didn't have that pleasure. That was announced in a newspaper before I told anybody. Because, of Awful. course, they'd found out about my hospital appointments. And if you go to certain appointments in hospitals, if you phone the natal unit or something like that, but then they, they didn't take a genius to work out if you're making an appointment to go there, you're probably expecting a baby. So that happened with that. So it was very odd and I didn't, you know, I couldn't work it out. But there was one day and I will never forget it. And I, and, and I would like all of them to be buried somewhere, whatever you're going to do with them, Michael, I don't know, but you're, you have my blessing. The worst day was when I found out I was expecting another baby a woman arrived on the doorstep with a big bunch of flowers saying congratulations to Sam. And Sam said, what for? And she said, well, Caroline's expecting a baby. Oh. And we hadn't told anybody. So we thought someone from the maternity place where I'd gone to have my confirmation had been, been selling stories to the press or something like that. And about two, oh man, maybe a bit longer, maybe eight weeks later, something like that, I lost that baby. And a horde of photographers turned up on my doorstep and followed me, like not letting me walk. I was so unhappy. It was the most miserable time of my life. And they, these bloody paparazzi, was like standing in front of me, wouldn't let me move, flicking me, just saying, oh, it's sorry to hear your news and all that, snapping <sighs> pictures of you. And one of them stepped out onto the road. And if I hadn't pulled him back, he'd have been run over by a taxi without a shadow of a doubt. He'd have lost something but but he was so busy taking pictures of me i stopped him getting killed and do you know something to this day i think mm, was that a sensible <laughs> was that a sensible human reaction <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should have just pushed him in front of him <laughs> but those, all those people those colson's those Melcares. Those, all those people to do with that hacking scandal, all those paparazzi who, you know, who are basically people like me paid their mortgages for years, all those people. Mm. And they can all go to hell in a handcart. They really can. They can just, they, they fed off private medical information, deeply personal relationships for years and years, and, and I don't know what you're going to do with them, Michael, but whatever you do, I want them to be just a long way away well, from gonna, me. I'm going to invite them gently into the time capsule. <laughs> Come and look at the things that Caroline's put in. fact, you can take photographs if you like. <laughs> yeah. You'll sell this story for a lot of money, I'll say. I'll say, and just through this door, <laughs> and then clang. <laughs> take photographs of your fucking selves, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you leave them all with mobile phones so they can they can try and phone out and get help and then realise there's no signal down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's just appalling. Yeah. It's the morality that's so shocking. But the trouble is, I think at the time, because everyone was doing it, it's like that thing of saying, well, if they're doing it, then why can't we do it? If we do it? And then and then they all tell themselves it's all okay. And you know, yeah. there are still people who were involved in that scandal who have very highly paid jobs on newspapers and on television now. And they've got away with it. So the photographers and the journalists and the editors and all of them, if you could just get all of them, anyone involved in that, you know, put them in that room, it'd be great. And they can sit and look at each other. And see who's the first one to say sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a long time. That would be nice. Funnily enough, I'm currently awaiting a court apology, which will then be printed, which I'm then thinking of having made into wallpaper. You've got to paper the loo with it. Don't you think so? 
Yeah. I really think yeah. so. So that every time I sit down for my private moment, <laughs> yeah. I'm tempted to do that. I mean, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But oh, that's the do. plan at the I moment. Do. Send me a picture. Yeah, that's okay. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. This is my view as I sit here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Massive apology for the oh, grief. And they bloody deserve it as well. They really do. Yeah. Caroline, what a joy. What a joy to see you. What a joy to talk to you. Thank you, It's been really, know. really lovely. I have such fondness for all our happy times together I in the know, past. And uh, it's, it's really lovely to see you. Yeah, well, I hope I work with you again soon, as soon as we're allowed out. Yeah. Who knows? Let's hope we work. I bet you and I, before we know, we'll be playing a married couple again before we bloody know it. <laughs> <laughs> Grand and granddad. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I'm happy with that. Yeah. It will happen. Mm. We have It'll to be all right. Bring out the gardener in ourselves and just wait. Just wait. Watch the seed and watch it grow. And then a little sprout, then you'll, then you'll be off and filming. Absolutely. And suddenly I'll be a great big courgette plant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As I think I've always been. <laughs> you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Caroline Quinton. You can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or any podcast provider. You can follow My Time Capsule on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at MyTCPod. This is a cast-off production and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. The music is by Pass the Peas Music. Finally, when you get a spare couple of minutes, we'd really appreciate it if you would rate us and maybe write a short review to encourage others to listen. Like this review we received recently. Um, Let's see, it says... Nauseatingly middle class and lovey-ish, with tales of skiing holidays, trips to Glastonbury, and dinner parties, etc., etc. <laughs> I think they must be talking about another podcast. Anyway, I must go. My greenhouse needs a good old tidy, and I can't leave it all to the gardener. And then I've got a Zoom meeting with Stephen Fry, Ian McKellen, and Judy Dench. Yeah, I must remind them that I'm <laughs> I'm hoping to give my bottom in the park to the glitterati of London this summer. Yeah. There's no business like show business. There's no business. There's no business at all, actually. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 